0: couple. Um, I just, uh, you know, one of the things that, that that I did when I came and I saw all the giftings, but the, the gifting that I look for more than anything else is the gift of shepherding. You could be an okay teacher and I'm not saying you guys, I think you're excellent teachers. Uh, I've, I've heard you both excellent teachers. But if it's not aimed at the heart, the shepherd cares about the sheep doesn't care about their position, doesn't care about honor or the seat of honor. They're not even interested in their own position. They're really, literally only interested in God winning in the sheep's life. And that's what I saw. So what we're going to do is we're going to come together, okay? We're going to pray. Put your hands up. Let's all put our hands up just like this because guess what? We're one body, and we're going to pray and install them. Why don't you guys put your hands on them? And let's one. Father God, uh, we are grateful. We are grateful that you did not leave us without instruction. And you have called us to install men, or ha- proper heads, not tyrants, but true leaders. Because a true leader in the home is really a partner with the wife. And uh, values the wife as literally the other half. God, it doesn't matter the route you get them there. It matters where you've taken them to and where you're going to take them. And I pray, Lord God, that you would use these two, your son and your daughter, in the lives of your sheep. I pray, Lord God, that they would be champions of unity, of grace, of forgiveness, mercy, and truth, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that you would Bless this not-so-little congregation anymore. And I pray that you would bring people out from the grave to life here and use, like Anthony said, imperfect and sometimes flawed people to do it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. You guys can go back and sit down. Thank you so much. (laughs) All right. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter one. We're going to read five verses, five verses, and then we're going to talk about uh, the five verses. This is a this is a gospel series about a vivid picture. It's a vivid picture of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. One of my things is this: is we need a vivid picture of Jesus Christ. And for me, this was the first gospel I ever read. Why? I was a terrible reader, terrible student. Couldn't. I didn't want to. And I was told from the beginning, you have to read the Bible if you're going to be a Christian. I was like, nah, you don't need that. And I realized, yes, you do need that. Uh, Because if you don't, your mind is so powerful that you'll create your own version of Jesus. Uh, And that's a dangerous thing to do. But that's the first gospel I went to. And you know why I read that first? Because it only had 15 chapters. So what I'm going to ask you to do this week, it should take you literally one hour and a half to read through the entire book. Write down notes, study it, it any way you want to do it. Just do it. determine yourself to start at the beginning and see it through to the end. And I'm telling you, you'll be blessed by it. So listen, let's pray. Father God, we want to pray that you would open up your word in an amazing, amazing way. Lord God, we want to see you in vivid technicolor. We want you to challenge us. We want you to threaten us. Um, want you to win in us and Lord God the truth is, is it's part of me that doesn't want that I much rather you bless my plans rather than me submit to yours so this is different Lord God you need to fight with us and you need to be committed to us and I'm asking you to do that Lord God uh, in Jesus name amen okay So chapter one, verse 40, a man with leprosy came to Jesus, begging him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. I want to take just one word there. That's a strange thing because in the other tellings of this story, it's not the word indignant. It's the word which means compassion. So there's a debate. What was he indignant? Because indignancy has a tiny, uh implication of anger you ever been indignant at somebody you're like you know when jesus was indignant when the apostles told the little kids they couldn't come forward jesus growled at his disciples and he said don't you ever do that again you know i remember when my father used to grit his teeth that was indignancy and i was in danger so we don't know but i do want to say this this is the word that we've been given and i thought to myself if he was indignant what was he indignant about and i believe that he was indignant about The fact that he had a plan from the very beginning. And because we chose to distrust God, this was what came out of it. And he was angry about that. And he's like, if you would have just trusted me. So let's keep going forward. So he was indignant. Yet he reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you do not tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests, and make the sacrifices that Moses commands for your cleaning as a testimony to them. But instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news as a result. Jesus could no longer enter into a town openly, but had to stay outside in lonely places yet the people still came to him from everywhere. I remember one time I had gotten into uh, a bad pattern at work, and uh, I, uh, when I get into a bad pattern mindset at work, I start to see everybody as enemies. It's part of my old nature. And I saw my bosses as uh, my enemy, and uh, then I started to see anyone who was nice to them as enemies, and then it started to creep out, everybody I worked with shady, and I didn't want to be near them, and I just kind of was like, and um, and someone said to me the worst thing in the world, He goes, man, I thought you were a Christian, dude, and I was like, dang, it hurts, and you know why he said that? He said, you're attached to the light, but you're acting like darkness, and you know what, this guy, he took the blessing of God, but he didn't listen to Jesus. Jesus said, don't say nothing. Go to them first. You can do what you want to do. But do it the way I'm telling you to do it. And because he didn't do it the way God was telling him to do it, you know what happened? People got in the way. You understand? The way I act, the way you act, the way we act, after we receive Jesus, we get the healing of Jesus. If I'm disobedient, man, I'm telling you, I can cast the shadow on him. That's part of it. I, I didn't use that in my sermon but I did want to start with that. So I think that it's super important for us to have a very vivid picture of God. Why? Because everything comes out of my relationship with him, how I act, how I think, what my motives are, what my attitudes are. So when I see a vivid picture of Jesus, I see what he's like. I see what he loves, what he hates, how he responds. This is important for me to do. When I see, when we see a clear picture of Jesus, where he doesn't have any makeup on. One of the things that we can do is have a tendency to go, Jesus, you look a little unpresentable. Can I put some, uh, I don't know, do cover-up makeup on your face so that I can make you look a little less raw? The problem is, if I do that, you may go, oh, wow, that's a beautiful, it's like the Sunday school version of Jesus. You know, you're like, oh, man, he looks so friendly. Problem is that Jesus, if I put too much makeup on him, that Jesus isn't the Jesus who is, and he doesn't have the power to save. I got to tell you, we need to see Jesus vividly on with no makeup on and no polish. Why? There's two reasons. Because when I see him like this, and I can tell you this from firsthand, when I first met him, rather he first met me, I tasted forgiveness. Nobody wanted me. I was rejected, and rightfully so. I was rejected, and I did it. Nobody led me into it. I did it for, from 14 to 31. I did it. People were tired of me, and it was over. But who came up to me? He came up to me. literally came up to me and said, hey, get up, come follow me. That was it. I felt his love, but I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I loved him. It wasn't until I started reading this that I fell in love with him. When I started reading those gospels, I fell in love because I saw him in a way that I'd never seen him before. The only exposure I really had to Jesus was in service that didn't make sense to me when we stood up, sat down, kneeled, moved, and I didn't get it. I knew he was real, never doubted it. And another way was on Easter, watching all those Jesus movies, right? where Jesus kind of walks around like he's got anemia. You know, he's kind of placid and weak, like you push him over. And then I started reading his book, and I started seeing, this ain't the way that Jesus was. As a matter of fact, he was something to look at, man. You would look at him, and you'd have an instantaneous reaction to him. Let me give you the reactions that are demanded by a clear vision. First is this. You realize that I need him. And then I need him more than I need anyone or anything else. That's the first thing that came across to me. First thing that was communicated. You need me. You don't need sobriety. That will come. You don't need money or a job. That will come. You don't need your family to accept you back in. That will come. You need me first. Because if you don't have me, you won't have them. Period. And, and man, I'm telling you, he taught me that lesson and it was supernatural because I never did to look at it again. As a matter of fact, every year it keeps drilling itself into my soul. And the truth is we need to let that, that message drill into our soul. But there's another response from an unpolished and unmakeup view of Jesus. When I see him, I realize that I cannot submit to this King. When you look at the gospels, there's two options. The cost, they believe, is too great. They reason with what they hear and they say, I'm not really sure I need what he's offering me that much. So I can kind of take and leave. You understand what I mean? When he found me, when he finds those who are saved, they don't say that. They're a lot like, well, maybe I'll take 50 of this, 50 of that, 25 of this, 25 of that. No, no, no. You're like, hey, listen, I got no options here. You're all I got. Remember, Jesus is talking about his flesh being food, bread to eat, his blood being wine. People are like, what the heck is he talking about? And he goes, hey, where'd they all go, Pete? Pete Peter goes, hey, I, this is tough. Like, what are you going to do? I don't even like to hear this. He goes, you going to leave too? He goes, I love Peter. Man, I love him. He's Got to be my cousin somewhere down the line. He said, man, I'd leave too, but where am I going to go? You know, that's when you really know something's happening where you're like, where am I going to go? I got nowhere else to go. Only you have the words of life. That means to me, just in a practical sense, he doesn't have to tell me what I want to hear. He doesn't have to say yes to me. He doesn't have to bless my plans. He doesn't even have to allow me to make life about me because I love to make life about me. And I don't know if that's true for you, but it's true for me. That's it, as you see Jesus. It's all or nothing. That's what he offers us, and that's what he desires. The biggest temptation with Christ for the Christian, not for the non-Christian, is to insist on a third option. The third option is simple. It's where I get to keep all the best of a life and a future with Jesus, but I get to do it on my terms. That's where I get to set the limits. I get to set the boundaries. I can take what I want. Leave the rest. It's literally. I've come to church. I've come to church. No, you don't come to church. You come to Christ, and then you become the church. Yeah, you can because that's His plan. It's 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 not just a tagline. It's His plan. You come to Christ, you become the church. I think this is what was getting at in in Mark. Matthew chapter 7, where the people go, hey, will there be a lot of people in heaven? And he goes, I'm going to tell you the truth. There won't be. They're going to come to me in the end, and they're going to go, didn't we do these things in your name? And he goes, no, 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 I I don't know what you did it for, but you didn't do it for me. What's he saying? Those were good things. They they expelled demons. They taught kids. They gave. They fed poor. Is that not good? Yeah, but the thing that he wants is that we would be connected to him like I'm connected to him. Person that I've married. See, salvation is spiritual marriage, not in the way it is with human beings, but it's very much a connection, for better for worse, thick, sick and health, and rich and poorness, good times and in bads. That's that's what He's offering us, and that's what He wants for us in return. But those guys were like, "Hey, listen, I'd like option three, please. Can I come up, and profess, get in the water, and then do?" Give, but then I'm going to go home, okay? I love you, man. i got to go to my own life. And he's like, what do you mean? We live together now forever and ever and ever. So that's why he said to them, I do not know you. Now, that's, uh, that's meant to scare Israel because the reality is there were many in Israel who could not see their God. They were not married to their God, and they rejected their God. And because they rejected their God, they were lost. Jesus I want us to write down or think, Nah, you don't have to write it down, Jesus simply is not for everyone. I'm sorry. I can say to anyone I meet at any time, Jesus, everyone needs Jesus more than they need oxygen and water. But the truth is, the cost of relationship with Jesus is weighty. That means there's implication. He says over and over, count, problems i had with baptism in the united states is, man i could open up those waters and say does anybody feel enthusiastic enough to jump in and then trust me 500 people one person will be like i'm crazy enough to do it i'll do it man they're full of enthusiasm They love jesus and then they get out of the water and the reality starts to hit the sun starts to rise up and the heat starts to come and unless they're connected unless that holy spirit is holding on to them and building them and holding them in root and dragging them deeper deeper into the soil i tell you the truth they will shrivel up and they will be gone i have baptized too many people that had 6 months left I'm not doing it no more don't tell me your profession show me your profession just saying just saying Jesus is a marvel to look at. He is the embodiment of beauty. When you see him, he is absolutely beautiful in every way. I love Jesus Christ. I love him for one reason over all other reasons, because he loves me and I'm not lovely. He is the embodiment of beauty to the ones who he comes for. They, from the time he intercepts their path, know that he is their soulmate. Like I told you, I never doubted, grew up in church, Catholic church. My dad was a believer. My mom. But I, I I'm telling you, man. I never doubted. But soulmate? That's crazy talk. But I assure you, if you're saved, you know you were given life so that you could be connected to your soulmate, which is Jesus Christ. If you ain't, no, I ain't interested. I'll go to church, maybe. I ain't in that soul business, but that's exactly what we are. We are his soulmate. He is our soulmate. Jesus is in every way awesome, even to those who are on the threshold of death itself. That's crazy power. Can I tell you a quick story about a guy named Polycarp? When the persecution came, I think Polycarp was about 180 AD. There was a persecution under Valerian and it was pretty bad. It was bad, bad stuff. And you know, Valerian didn't have anything against Jesus or the Christians. He just saw them as an opposition to his complete, total power. So Polycarp's brought up before a, pro, uh, a procurator, which is a governor or judge. And they go, hey, you're part of this church. You're a bishop. You're an elder. you got to stop. They're all here. We're going to find everybody you got right now. You, because you had such a great reputation, I want to be merciful to you. All you got to do is reject Jesus right here and now. We will untie you and let you walk out of this room. Polycarp, old, 89, no, I think 83 years old. Looks, he goes, hey, listen, man, no offense. He goes, I'm 83. He has been good to me my whole life. He has never let me down. You expect me to let him down when this is the first chance I have to speak up for him? He goes, do me a favor, light the match and get this thing over with. That's power, man. You know what happens in that auditorium? People who ain't looking go, what the heck just happened? Why did that happen and why was that his response? Man, when we see Jesus, you'll know in an instant whether he's calling. You'll know in an instant whether this one is your savior. To the physically broken, Jesus offers, let me give you a panoramic view of Jesus. Physically broken, Jesus offers them wholeness of life. But you know what he never does? Accepts excuses. I can't. People get in my way. It was this guy. It was that guy. He's like, I I get it. I know. There's a lot of reasons we're here. But are you willing to give all that stuff up and let me make you whole? He still does that today you Jesus. You're like, man, you're in a bad state. Yeah, and then I had a bad childhood. and People rejected me, and all this happened, got in my way, and I never had a break. Nobody loved me. My dad wasn't there. All oh, true, 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 true. Jesus goes, man, I get it, I get it. But you gotta let that mat go. I could pick you up. I could pick you up. Let's look at Jesus to the spiritually imprisoned, like Mary Magdalene, seven demons. You know. I don't know if I understand how demons inhabit people, but they certainly do. I can tell you there was times in my life that I did things that I don't know if I was possessed, but that was certainly crazy. The spiritually imprisoned, what does he do? He finds them, they don't go looking for him. They actually run away. He approaches first, he sets the tone and then he snaps their chains. And once that happens, there's dramatic and drastic change. Third, the disillusioned and heartbroken. Is there people here to lay disillusioned and heartbroken? Can I tell you something? Live here on earth for a little time, and you'll see that it happens to everybody. Just some people are good at choking it down. Well, This is just the way it is. Get over it. Come on, be an adult. we deep down inside. You're like, what do you mean? I'm ex- supposed to accept something that's unacceptable? You know that there's something wrong here. No, nothing wrong. Yeah, Something wrong, there's something wrong everywhere. Is there good here? Yes. But there's softly a whole lot of other things that you're like, man, that just don't add up. And yes, some people become disillusioned and heartbroken. And you know what Jesus says to them? I have come for you. I am all the proof that you will ever need that God loves you. I've come to be your provision, not just to give you a handout. I'm your supply. That's what happened to the woman at Sychar. To the ones who are lost in rebellion, given over to self. And when they do these things, they find themselves failed. That's where he found me. I was failed. I was empty. I was without hope. I was lost in rebellion. You know, if you told me about the fear of the Lord when I was in rebellion, I didn't care. I think You could have scared me into Jesus' arms. Ah! I was an ignorant fool. Bring it on, Jesus. I'm living, I used to say to myself, I'm living in hell anyway. Can I tell you something? I wasn't living in hell, <laughs> and I should have been afraid. But I was ignorant, but that's where I was. I was failed. I was empty. I was without hope. You know what we see of Jesus there? One who was amazingly generous and kind. I wrote this down, and I don't want this to be too hard, but I wonder how many people in the church would attack Jesus for the way that he treats people. But to the ones that are sure of themselves, that feel that they do not need rescuing, and if they did need rescuing, they could certainly do it themselves, Jesus becomes a serious threat. And when Jesus is a threat, they actively look to resist him or look for a reason to reject him. People may be even thinking that in their seats right now. Don't. Don't. All right, let's look at the story. Jesus is gathering the ones who have been given ears to hear. This should give us quite a lot of encouragement. You know why? Because that means what he calls you to do is not about you or your skill or your ability. It's about your trust. Follow him, be trustful, and he says, I'll do. You're like, but it didn't turn out the way I want. He goes, well, it wasn't your plan to begin with. I I didn't ask you for your plan. I just asked you for your obedience and trust. Right? So if God tells you to do something, don't ever say, "I I, I can't. If you do, don't blame it on, sure, blame it on the fact that you just don't have faith, you're not trusting. That's way better, honesty is way better with Jesus than anything else, I'm just telling you that right now. So he's gathering the people who have ears to hear. He's surrounded by maybe 50 people. This is a different day, this is probably mid-morning, afternoon, there's about 50 people. This is definitely not the crowd. This is people who've gone to the second level. They've pushed past. So now they're gathering around here, about about 50 people and what happens infiltrates a man a man walks in their midst who has no legal right to be where he has pushed himself to be this guy is a leper let's look at the life of a leper for two minutes the life of a leper even today is a death sentence only here's the rub it takes 30 years for it to complete could you imagine you get it when you're 19 And it just keeps increasing until you're 58 years old and literally parts of your body start falling off. That's what happens, folks. That's what happens. This is a really, really bad fate. This guy has no hope. He has no resources. He has no one to plead his case. He has no rights. He is isolated. He is rejected. And he is oftentimes accused and convicted without a trial. Let me explain what that means. In that setting, I don't know if it happens today, we didn't look at a guy who had leprosy and go, that poor guy, you know what you'd say? What did he do to get that fate? Maybe his mother or his whole family, they must have done something bad. So literally you didn't feel pity, like, I'm not here to judge, but, and that's exactly what they would have thought, thought of. He lives far outside of the city limits. He's only allowed to enter those times are, but I know this they did not have carte blanche when it came to the city. They were only allowed to go to certain places, like for instance, couldn't go to the shopping district, too many women with their kids. They couldn't go to the well, that was a place where people got their water, whether water was healthy. We don't want someone who's filthy, dirty, and diseased by the water. And he couldn't go to the city square, that means there was nobody who could even. Direct him to somebody that could help him. He literally had one route, one road, and that's where he went. It gets worse for this guy. He has to wear a uniform of shame. Couldn't wear just regular clothes. You didn't want to be mistaken as someone who was clean. So you had to wear rags covering up your face, your body. Here, it gets worse. He had to identify himself as he walked along as unclean. That's exactly what he'd do. He'd go, stay away, stay back, I'm unclean. I got leprosy, everybody. Stay back, stay back, stay back. I got leprosy. Moms, get out of the way. I got leprosy. I got leprosy. Get away from me. And people were like, uh. I could even imagine that if you were close and that guy started to bellow that he was unclean, you'd pick up a rock and go, get the heck away from my kids. Why? Are you evil? No, you're trying to protect your child. Yeah, it's a funny thing how humans act, you know, and, and it doesn't make them awful. It just makes them human. <laughs> he cannot feel another person's touch. I'm a person who needs to feel touch. If I were untouched my whole life, that would be worse than prison for me. I mean, he could never feel another person's touch. He could never share a meal with anybody, and even if he could. Like another leper, I don't think he'd want to. You know? There was no hugs for this guy. Depending on how disfigured he was, he might be absolutely frightening to look at. One of the first things that falls off a leper is their nose or their ear. Hmm. It gets bad for this guy. When people look at the leper, they think to themselves, what did this guy deserve such a fate? Not to mention, I think to myself, putting myself in a position of the the leper, the nights where he would stay awake and think to himself, what did I do? Why is this my fate? Where did it happen? Did I make you that unhappy? Can't you have mercy on me? Makes me kind of want to cry. Of all of the diseases that God focuses on in the gospel, he focuses on leprosy, the most. And I believe there three reasons. First, it is fatal. There is no cure. Never has been, never will be. Number two, the virus is in you and actively working in you before you know it's happening. So you have leprosy and deteriorating before you even know it. You're thinking fine, you're healthy, and then all the blemish pops up. Here's the third thing, it kills nerve bundles. Now that, you're like, oh, that's, uh, that's interesting, but what, that happ- what happens when it kills the nerve bundles, what it does is it, it cuts off communication to the brain, and once that happens, the body cannot recognize the area, so it stops sending blood to that area. Once blood stops going, the tissue starts to die, wounds start to form, infections take root, and eventually, You smell like rotting meat. Problem is, your olfactory senses can't detect it. So everyone smells your rot except you. People are like, oh my gosh. Imagine that crowd, 50 people. They're like, listen to Jesus. What the heck is it? And then all of a sudden he pops out right in front of them. If you're willing, if you're willing, oh, my what is he doing here? I thought to myself as I wrote down these notes, this is a perfect sin. And one of its worst attributes of fatality is that you don't believe that it's fatal. Never believe it's fatal. You're actually attracted to many things. That can bring you death. At least for me, I would drink it by the cup. Sin works in you all the while that you think you're good. It's operating and you never know half the time until it really strikes. Third, it has serious consequences and effects that you're not likely or willing to accept. What does Paul say about sin? The wages of it are death. Well, what does that mean? That means forever. I will live separated from God. Well, I live separated from God now. No, you don't. Even the most drastic of sinners, the most zealous of sinners like me, we all experience grace. But there will come a time when I will resist it no more and I will be confronted with the reality of what it lives separated from God for all eternity. And there's two options there. Weeping where I think, oh my God, I had it all. And now I've got nothing. Or gnashing of teeth, where you look up to heaven and you stole from me. I hate your guts, I would never worship you. And I'm capable of both. I'm capable of self pity, and I'm capable of gnashing. The leper, as we see him, is the embodiment of the poor in spirit. What does Jesus say? Blessed are the in the kingdom of God. What does it mean? No demands. This guy didn't say, Hey, I'm a good guy. I am a good guy. I was a good son. I was part of this club and that club. And I was getting I thought it was unfair. I gotta see the who could he? No demands. He had no expectations. He didn't know. He said, if, if, if. I don't know what you're going to do here, Jesus, but you're all I got. So I'm coming if you're willing, if you're willing. He only came with need and desperation. He was exposed and vulnerable. He was like this. And everybody saw him there like, this filthy guy has got some nerve to expose me and my family to his sin and consequence. Jesus, what does he say? Remember, I told you about that. When he touches them, he enters in. It's not just a healing. He's like, no, 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 you never had an advocate, but now you do. You know what an advocate means? Someone who pleads on your behalf. Man, that's a powerful truth. Jesus goes, you want someone to be your advocate? I'm your advocate. Jesus says, I am willing and reaches out, touches the man's head. I can almost see it with my eyes. It's like he grabs him like this. When I wrote it, ah, I've drawn to tears. How oh he would grab him, and he goes, "I'm willing. I willing to do it." You know, that's what he did to me. He's like, "Come on, I'm, I'm willing." It's not like you ever do. Yeah, I love my dad. He was just rough, right? I was a boy, one of six, and, and you got to be tough on boys, right? So you you get this a lot. What a dummy you are! See, I told you not to do that. Wow, you just really g- great job disappointing. Real good on that one. You're going to pay the price for this. I told you. But he'd never give up on me. My dad never gave up on me. But he would go like this when I was in the dirt. Come on, get up. Let's go. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus goes, yeah, I was waiting for this moment. I was waiting for you to get here. Now we can move on. Come on, come with me. It's an amazing thing, man. It's powerful, super powerful. He touches the man's head. Look at what happens. Jesus is clean. He is the cleanest of all clean. Jesus is perfect in his holiness. It is Jesus' cleanness and perfection that heals this guy's disease. They learned that if clean comes in contact with dirty and dirty touches clean, then clean becomes dirty and needs to be cleaned again. Jesus goes, you can't touch my cleanness. You can't touch my holiness. There's nothing you can do to spoil who I am. As a matter of fact, who I am can clean you. This is the difference between salvation and every other religious faith, even Judaism that worships the right God. God is holy. We have to understand this. It's part of the gospel. God is holy, and if we approach God in his holiness, in our strength, in our merit, or our worth, his holiness will judge us without mercy. Remember, those Pharisees, why are your boss, why is your boss eating with scumbags like them? Go back and tell them. He goes, I've come to be a physician to those who are sick, but they think they're healthy, so guess what I'm going to treat them like? Don't ever pretend you have perfect eyesight in front of Jesus because he'll say, oh, okay, I'll I'll hold you to that standard. I'll I'll give a great example. One time, years ago, we were doing communion, and uh, I had a particularly great week. No meanness, no stuff, and and we're supposed to do inventory, and I go, geez, Lord, I I don't really have anything to confess. I, I think I did pretty good. Took my communion, went on my way. As soon as I got outside, soon as I got outside, anger, impatience came up on me. Jealousy and envy came up during the week. Lust, desire for escape, it all popped out until I had a really horrible week. You want to hear a great story. Go talk to John DeLong one time. He prays with this dude says, I failed again. John goes, I told you a million times if you just do what I that night, he was literally on the verge of a relapse. He felt, if he went into, he would never come out of By grace, God put him to sleep. The next day, he goes, watch your words, John. You're always a stone throw away from failure when you trust yourself. Remember that. It's powerful, powerful stuff. The law is the law. Feelings of sympathy only violate justice. What does it say? The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. You only get grace to save through Jesus and Jesus alone. All right, we got four points. Man, I really, I'm I'm doing better at getting a little bit more concise, yeah? Keep praying for me, you know. there's, There's hope for me. You know, there's four things that we could take away from this. First, I need to, we need to remember that we were lepers. You know why because trust me when the leper comes in he'll know that he's amongst other former lepers you know there won't be like uh, uh, there won't be like hey brother how you doing man i gotta get going no you know that you were a leper when you know that you're a leper it causes my heart to embrace hopeless people it causes me to be attracted to the rejected there is no room for pride when you remember where and that bring a second service here. Huh? Number two, this guy lived as a bad witness. He didn't listen, but he was a witness nonetheless. Crazy as a jaybird. Live as a witness. Sometimes we complicate it. You know what I got the right, the ability, the privilege, the honor to do to tell people how I was lost How I was broken how people rejected me didn't want me because of my actions wasn't something that was done to me It was done myself and guess what jesus found me He found me he used guys in my life to bring me where he was so that he could say hey man What do you want and I I don't know what I want? I certainly don't think I want what you want. He's like now. You're not seeing it right. Let me show you Live as a witness. Tell people how Jesus rescued your life. It's a simple story. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them. Don't say to them, you should follow Jesus. Say, man, I follow Jesus. Can I tell you why? You know what he did for me? You know what I see he did for my buddy? That's what this guy did. I love the one guy that's getting cornered and pressured by the Sadducees when he got healed. He's like, hey, listen, I told you this story. What do you want from me? He healed me. I was sick since I was a kid, couldn't see, and he healed me. He healed me. And they're, they're like, tell the truth. And he goes, why? You want to be his disciple too? Man, they were so mad at him. Man, there was a witness. Here's the third thing. This guy, and this is where it can get real, really practical for us. This guy remembered his hopeless state, and Because he did, he lived differently. There was a lot of positivity in this guy's life where I'm pretty sure he didn't have a whole lot before. Am I right? When you got no future, man, you're one miserable guy. I don't think he was ever miserable again. And if he had a tendency to drop back into that misery, I think a reminder was like a subtle tap. Remember where you were. Man, this guy had positivity. God is here. God gives me hope. I trust him. God would never, ever lead me into the desert so that I could die of thirst. Why did he go through this? So that I could get in the street? No, no, that's not who he is. Here, he's encouraging. That means he's like, listen, man, it's bad, but I know someone who can help you. I feel like giving up. I felt like giving up a million times. Don't give up. Don't. It's the best part. Come on, I'll stay with you. I don't want to do it. I want to run. I get you, dude. Let's stick around. Gratitude. Oh, how I don't have gratitude. Just give me too many things. Every relationship was a gift. And I can tell you the truth, I don't always feel that to be true. Because relationships are what? They're hard. Mm-hmm. Please, I do not mind a sound condescending or a judgmental, because I'm not. I'm with you in the trench. His work was different. His neighbors were different. His family was different. They were all gifts from God. Why? Because one time, he didn't have them. That's the way we have to live our life. Here's the last one. Jesus lived, no, not Jesus, this guy lived eager to be used. Are you eager to be used? I love Isaiah. Sees the glory of God, falls down, he realizes he's doomed, stands up in the presence of angels. He can't even figure out what's going on. And he goes, Jesus goes, hey, who's going to go tell our story? You know, someone's got to go tell a story. And they're like, I can almost see, like, if his buddy was there putting his hands down, go, shut up, i say, he's not talking to you, you idiot. And he's like, no, no, I'll go. And Jesus goes, great, you, you got the job. Go tell, go do, be eager, be eager right here. Be eager, say, I want to be used. I want to be used. All right, we'll let's put you at the door for a little while. You know, you're going to greet people, you're going to go, man, I am so happy you are here. Can I tell you something, man? I walked into this place. I didn't want to be here. My wife dragged me. Yeah. And man, I'm telling you, it's the best thing that ever happened in my life. I'm so glad you're here. And that person's going to go away and go, It's kind of strange. Yeah? I don't think this guy lived with doubts about God's desires and directions. He never thought to himself that they were too costly. And when he did, he always gave in. Because he never forgot where he was before the mercy of God showed up. Let's let's worship. Are you hurting? Please bear with us. So hold hands because we are united. We are one body, and you've come here today because God pulled you. He pulled you. And all we got to do is trust, obey, walk one step forward at a time. Let's pray. Father God, amazing, amazing you are. And you know what the most amazing part about who you are is? Not only what you do, it's why you do it and how you do it. Everyone would advise you in the universe. They'd say, if this is the way you want to rule your people, do it this way and do it that way. And, 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 and kind of fear inside of them. And he, I believe what you say to them, I will give them a fear. That if they reject me, they'll reject the love of their life. Lord, you're not someone to be played with. You're not someone to be given lip service to. You're someone to be trusted. You're someone to be told our deepest, most intimate thoughts. You're someone who wants to share our life. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I I don't do it as much as I should. I don't, I don't want to just say sorry. We don't want to just say sorry. We want to change. Please, Lord God, I feel like I'm cheating myself. But more than anything is I'm really cheating you. And I know that you can't be cheated because you have everything. But it doesn't up. You didn't have to do what you did. You wanted something. So, Lord, we want to give it to you. We pray this all with one voice, one heart. Everyone said, "Okay, stick around, stick around, stick around. You're going to be taking a big picture video." Thank you, sister. Always amen.